Hello. and welcome to season, season two, two, episode one. Let's go, Sam. Dab me up. Let's go. That was a dab up. We, we are now using, for the first time, since first real one. time. Yep, first real time. A real Blue Yeti microphone. So hopefully our sound quality is much better. We got off of voice memos. Who cares? It's season two, episode one. All right, so we're going to do more Israel because more Israel, yeah. Hamas conflict. We're, yeah. Because that's honestly the most pressing issue of today. We're just going to give you kind of what's been going on an the past update. couple of days, and then uh, yeah. it should segue us into our interview. Yeah, for we have so a pretty interesting interview, too. It's yeah. awesome. Shout out Grant Fisher for that. Looking um, us up. All right, Jack, give us a brief overview, and then I have some points I'd like to discuss. All right, so recently we've got a couple of bullet points here from AP News. Uh, the father of freed American teenage hostage, Natalie Ronan, uh, hopefully I did not mispronounce that, says she's doing well after her release by Hamas. Biden walks tightrope uh, with support for Israel as allies in the left push for restraint. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is ordering <coughs> further defenses for U.S. troops as tensions in the Middle East continue to grow. Uh, in a Gaza City hospital, an orthopedic surgeon makes do with whatever he can find, clothes for bandages, uh, Sewing needles for surgical ones. Um, those are just some of the big oh, headlines yeah. on AP News. And then also, there was a big <coughs> uh, controversy yeah, around some... So, here, those are some AP News headlines. They're a good source to go to. Because, obviously, uh, yeah. I, I like to look on Twitter, but you don't know what's real and what's fake. So, AP, AP News yeah. is a good source to go to. They're kind of they, synthesized from all major press. They, they um, have a fact companies. check thing yeah. here if you want to... So, Associated Press, facts, AP News, so. great yeah. source. So, these are, like, in the last week or so, what's been happening. Um, a, a missile fell on a hospital in Gaza. Major controversy around that. There was a growing humanitarian crisis in Gaza, and some... Uh, aid trucks have initially been coming in through the Egyptian border. That's increasingly becoming an issue. Um, there are still hundreds of Israeli hostages inside the Gaza Strip. And like Jack mentioned, a few have been released. Two, I think, have been released. But that is still a major issue. Hundreds of them there. Um, but Joe Biden went to Israel. And he was supposed to go to Jordan for a summit about yes. Arab leaders to try to figure out, trying to help the situation. But it was the day after the missile fell on the uh, hospital in Gaza, and a lot of Arab nations pulled out, as it was initially thought that that missile was launched from Israel. But United States and Israeli intelligence suggests that it was a misfired rocket from a rival militant group in the Gaza Strip called, uh, I think, Islamic Jihad. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that. I'm, that's right. That they fired a missile that... Um, that kind of combusted in midair, and part of it hit the Gaza and ignited a fire. Yeah, and so that's why that's why it goes back to the importance of fact check because yeah. a lot of news sources just put out that like Israel, right when that happened, yeah. that Israel shot the missile. Yeah, um, and then but, it was it was proved that that yeah. was. But know, also, some after. some Arab uh, some Arab leaders are still insisting that Israel did bomb the did bomb that hospital. So it's very unclear. And it, it well, seems it seems from United States intelligence that, that it, was it was not, not Israel, Israeli but a lot not. of people I'm seeing, like uh, spokespeople from many Arab nations on Twitter or X now, are are still. Um, I do not believe it was an Israeli missile. That's I really hope it, I, I really hope it wasn't. That'd just be tragic. Was. I don't I don't see that. I, I really. But don't also I, I I I don't know. But, um, I mean, but what else here, Sam? Um, yeah, but that's too controversial, so we don't really know what we're talking about there. 
Um, additionally, more militant groups from around the, is, uh, that Arab region are getting involved in the conflict. The Houthis in Yemen, who have been in conflict with their government for years now, um, fired a missile at a United States air guard, uh, some Navy ship mm -hmm. in the Red Sea, which was intercepted. Um, the Israelis are in combat on their northern and north eastern border with some, Syri some Syrian militants and Hezbollah, who we've discussed, who are in southern Lebanon, who are supporting Hamas. Um, inc increasing public support or decreasing public support for Israel as they continue to bombard Gaza and there's a humanitarian crisis there. There's mass demonstrations around the world. As, as the further we get removed from the day of the attack, the day Hamas attacks on Israel, the less support for Israel there is, the public support for Israel there have been that I have noticed. And obviously, there are 15 million Jews in the world, and there are, I would say, I don't know the correct number on that, but I'm going to say hundreds of, or tens, tens of, I don't I, I, I can't speak, well, a lot more Muslims I mean, in the world. Yeah, um, there's... Um, our interviewee, our interviewee, talks a lot about how the this war has led to a rise in anti-Semitism. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't jump the gun on talking about it right now. Let's let our interview. Oh yeah, talk I'm about just that. saying there's increasing support for Israel, but that could, I mean de decreasing support for Israel, but that could also be a result of 15 million Jews in the world and 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. So it's kind of hard to get a, a proportional kind of perception on that. Um, continuing, uh, Israel is still conducting airstrikes on the Gaza Strip there, yet there's yet to be a ground invasion. But that is just, I don't see the end game there. The airstrikes, it's too hard to pinpoint exactly where the Hamas bases are, and they're killing civilians. I, I just, and they're losing support as a result of that. I just don't see how that is positive for anyone. I'm sorry, I just don't see it. I I'd be I'd be I understand a ground invasion because then they can go in and pinpoint exactly who their enemies are, limit civilian casualties. But I think I th honestly I think the Israeli government needs to put a hold on the airstrikes because they're killing civilians. And there's these videos of kids that are just like, I don't know, it just does not look good. But also, you need to get the hostages back. And Hamas conducted one of the most horrific massacres. The most you also need to eliminate Hamas. Yeah, you so. need to eliminate Hamas. So I don't. I, there's no. There's no. It's really, really tricky situation. Yeah. Especially. Um, yeah. And the, and the further we are removed from October seventh, we just need to keep remembering why this is happening. That's a, that's important. You can't just like, oh, Israel's attacking Gaza. Well, why? It's very clear they need to eliminate Hamas because we saw, all saw the videos. It's two weeks ago now, but it still happened. Yeah, Hamas needs to be eliminated. Period. Yeah. Um, our last <laughs> point is that there are now uh, casualties that are kind of like trickling off of the conflict between Israel and Hamas oh, yeah. around, in, particularly, particularly in the United States. Yeah. Um, I think over a week ago now, a young Palestinian boy was stabbed to death in Chicago by an Islamophobic man. That was tragic. I read about that. That's like one of the worst things I've ever seen. And yeah. apparently this it was their landlord and he was... They were, like, friendly with the boy. I don't know. That's just disgusting. Um, and then there's, like, a lot of Jewish yeah. people getting killed. A lot of, yeah. uh, of anti-Semitic hate. Um, a synagogue president in Detroit was stabbed to death the other yeah, day. Yeah, I saw that. Yep. that was, yeah, so it just, there's, there's no it's, it's not good. There's nothing good coming out of this. It's terrible. But, yeah, yeah. that, that kind of concludes our 
little news section today. We just yeah. wanted to recap on Israel Hamas what's going on, you know, yeah. kind of right now in the situation in the Middle East. Um, uh, I hope you guys will enjoy the interview because so we, get, we it, go much deeper. Into we get in, yeah, way deeper into all this stuff. So um, stay tuned. We'll see you in a second. Sam, we are so fortunate to have access to experts in these recent episodes who are able to speak to these current issues that we're facing. A few weeks ago, we had the pleasure of interviewing Congressman Dean Phillips right before the government was set to shut down. And now this weekend, we are at the very beginning of the Israeli-Hamas war and have the opportunity to interview the former national chair of the ADL. For our listeners, the ADL stands for the Anti-Defamation League and is the leading anti-hate organization in the world with its mission being, uh, and I quote, to stop the defamation of the Jewish people and to secure justice and fair treatment to all. This brings me to welcoming our special guest today. We are here with Barry Curtis Lusher. Welcome, Mr. Lusher. Thank you. Glad to be with you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Barry Curtis Lusher has been actively involved with the Anti-Defamation League since 1982, both nationally and in the ADL Mountain States region in Colorado. He was the ADL National Chair from 2012 to 2015 and continues to serve on a number of ADL governance bodies. Barry is on the board of the Denver Jewish Community Center, has been chair of the board of Colorado Public Radio, and chair of the board of directors of Rose Medical Center, amongst other community service activities. On top of this, Barry is the CEO and co-founder of Nexus BSP LLC, an oil and gas exploration and production company, and is also an active private equity investor. Barry received a BA from Yale University and a law degree from the University of Michigan Law School. And with all that in mind, let's get into our first question. Mr. Lusher, we know that you have been very successful in business and a man in your position could be involved in any organization that he chooses. Why ADL and what about the ADL drew you to it? Well, that's a good question. Um, I got involved in ADL in 1982. Uh, and it was my my wife, Gay, who actually first went to an ADL meeting to introduce people to the organization and came home from uh, from it and said, you really like this. You should do this. Uh, you know, I got involved. Uh, I went to college in the late 60s, early 70s, and it was a time of political upheaval uh, and societal upheaval, uh, revolving then around the war in Vietnam, but many things similar to today as well. And then I was interested in politics, but also really interested in social justice and what I could do that might do some things to have a positive impact on the world. Um, I had chosen to go into law first and then business, but I never wanted to forget the need to be involved in social justice. And when I was introduced to ADL, it was a perfect fit. Um, it was a Jewish organization and I'm Jewish and I like the identity, but I never wanted to be anything that was strictly Jewish. And ADL is involved in the greater community. It fights hatred of all kinds and discrimination of all kinds. It takes the two parts of its mission seriously, to fight anti-Semitism, but to secure justice and fair treatment for all. And I was hooked from very early on. Um, I liked the people. I liked the organization. I liked the fact that they didn't just write papers about it, but they got involved in court cases. They got involved with media, and they really did things to address things proactively as well as reactively. 
Um, they track hate groups. They track extremist groups. Uh, they're in schools to, and they're, they're no place for hate program. Um, and I liked it from the beginning. I connected with the people and uh, in a way they're extended family. Been involved now an awful long time in a lot of different posts and still am. I sit on the national board of the ADL, the board of trustees of his foundation, well, regional state, mountain states here in Denver as well. But uh, it's an important part of our lives for both my wife and I. Um, and so it's continued and continues to this day. Very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so building off that, what was your general experience like as the national chair of the ADL? Do you have any specific things you remember, like outstanding moments? Oh, there's a whole lot of things. It was three years as national chair. And I was, a, I got involved with national leadership in the year 2000 and I wasn't national chair in 2012. So I'd done things other post nationally. But as the chair, excuse me, I'm getting over a cold. Um, as the national chair, um, it was a very, it was the senior most of all the volunteer positions. And I worked with the national director and staff closely, closely enough that I was in New York a lot, which is where the headquarters are. But there's 26 offices around the country too. Uh, and they have an office in Jerusalem. Um, I had many experiences that were remarkable. Um, I was in the Oval Office with President Obama and then Vice President Biden, uh, talking about ADL and discrimination and how the Jewish communities and the African American communities might better get together and to work on things together. I was invited to the, um, uh, when Pope Francis was officially became Pope, I was invited as one of the 12 Jews in the world to attend the big ceremony for that at St. Peter's. Well, they sat on the steps with the cardinals watching this all happen. Wow. It was a remarkable experience. Um, <laughs> those are two of the biggies. But I also got to work with people in our offices, got to work with the tech industry in California and work on things to really help pursue the mission. Um, and those were the biggest, most exciting things. The hard work was Every year, you know, ADL starts off with zero dollars in its bank account and has to raise money to support itself. And it's a hundred million dollar a year organization. There's over 540 people now work for it full time. And so raising those funds, working with people to make sure it was always properly funded, working on strategic planning, doing all those things were um, a lot of work, but also really felt great that I was able to participate and felt like I had a real role, and I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you for giving us, you know, your role and your backstory in the ADL. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to transition into kind of a current events uh, questionnaire discussion. Sure. Um, and I think it's important to address what's going on right now. Um, why do you think Hamas launched their attack on Israel? Well, first of all, I should ask, you, you know that I was in Tel Aviv when that happened? Yeah, Grant told us. I did not know. And yeah, that that's what Grant told well, me. It was actually um, the morning of my 72nd birthday. Wow. I woke up in bed in Tel Aviv to sirens going off and a loudspeaker telling us to get to shelter. And there's shelter, bomb shelter in the building. We could hear three, not immediately close, but three distinct explosions. Wow. My wife said, I think we need to get out of here. And, we, yeah, we and so I, we spent the next, th this was a week ago from yesterday. So we were in Tel Aviv and we were stuck there. We were supposed, we'd been there a week in Israel 
And we were supposed to be joining a business group where we invest in a fund that actually Grant has an investment in, um, wow. <laughs> in Israeli companies. And we were supposed to meet the principals and meet some of the companies we're invested in. Instead, we spent the week dealing with the war around us, um, having to stay in the hotel for the most part, uh, trying to get out. And all of the flights were canceled. And so... Uh, literally, I just, if you're a little jet lag, a little bit of a cough, it's, I just got home last night about, um, it's about six o'clock yesterday, Denver time, after escaping from Tel Aviv on Wednesday to Athens and then getting flight from Athens finally into Denver yesterday. Wow, so, wow. so, so now I'll answer your question. Um, you know, the Palestinian-Israeli um, um, conflict has been going on a long time, and it evolves from an even longer-standing Arab-Israeli conflict. And there's lots that goes to that. There's a lot of history, and it's something I've studied. I've been to Israel a number of times, but I've also been to Amman, Jordan, and met the King of Jordan. I've been to Egypt. I've been to Syria once upon a time. And so I know a little bit of that part of the world. And there's a lot of complicating factors, and there are people, unfortunately, who become pawns of both sides politically. In this case, Hamas is, <clears throat> they're, they're an ideologically rigid authoritarian organization. They're deeply involved in sort of their own sense of the world. It's really bizarre when you really get in and listen to what they have to say. But by their charter, they, they came into being as their charter to destroy Israel. And when they say destroy, they don't mean change the system. They say they want to kill the Jews, period. Um, this is not a close call. You know, now, they're not, they're not the, the leaders of the Palestinian community. They control Gaza, but they're only a single hate group. And it's unfortunate because there are millions of Palestinians who live both in Israel and in the areas of the West Bank, as well as in Gaza. And most of them... All they want is a better life. They want a better life for themselves and their kids and their grandkids. They want to. They want good schools. They want good services. They want to. They want to get going in life, and the most extreme elements amongst them have captured them, and they have no choice. And they're subject to all the 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 problems that creates. Well, Hamas hates Israel, and I believe what really. I mean it. Only they could tell you everything that was in their minds. They planned for this a long time. I think what stimulated it the most was the the fact that Israel was coming as close as it's come to having peace with Saudi Arabia. It had already accomplished the Abraham Accords and at peace with most of its neighbors. And I think they saw all that passing them by. And I think it's good it is passing them by. But I think this was their attempt to throw a monkey wrench into it all, uh, to stop it all. And, you know, what they did was just horrendous. Um, this was not a matter of just militants or soldiers fighting. Um, you know, we we saw, as you probably saw on the Internet, the horrendous things they did. But we know some people there. The week before all this started, we were in the Negev Desert with several families who had people from their family who had lived in Denver that we knew from, from years ago. And we were with them. After all this started, in one case, one of these families had four not their immediate family, but the next level. Cousins and an uncle were killed and all this. And another, she called me in tears and wanted to know what I might do because I know our senators. Her daughter, who's in middle school, her best friend and mother were kidnapped and are now being held in Gaza by Hamas. And so this is not 
This is not just war. This is not like the rules of war when you have armies that fight each other. They 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 slaughtered babies. They slaughtered old people. They've taken 150 people hostage, including a bunch of Americans. Um, they they wanted to make their point, and they did. I think they're not going to get out of it what they thought they'd get out of it. Um, and I think you know Israel Israel pays attention to the to the uh, to the civilians as best it can. But this is a this is a case where they have they have these horrible people that have attacked them, and they have they're gonna they're gonna have, seek justice uh, yeah. for the thousands of Israelis who are killed, kidnapped, um, and injured. Yeah. And and I think they're doing everything they can to to get Palestinian civilians to leave Gaza City, where it's going to be under attack. But I under, what I'm reading and what I'm hearing from some people in the ADL is Hamas is stopping people whenever they can from going because to them, their own people are their hostages too. They're their human shields and hostages. They they want to see them killed because they know world opinion will be horrified by that as well. Um, that's horrendous. I mean, it's just, it's almost unimaginable, but it's happening before our eyes. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, this is kind of a similar question, but how do you see the conflict ending? Is there, is there really going to be a fine line end or do you think it's more ambiguous? More ambiguous. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, again, we're just speculating what they'll actually do here. I think Israel will invade. I think Israel will look to dismantle their entire infrastructure they've created for terrorism. And I think they will seek justice by capturing or killing the people that they can identify that are directly involved. Uh, you know, the Israelis have great technology and they have a lot of pictures of a lot of people. And I'm sure with face identification, they've got a long list of people that they know killed and harmed Israelis that are on their list to bring to justice. And I think they will. I think they will dismantle the infrastructure of Hamas in Gaza, which is where they're based and they control. And how long they then have to occupy Gaza before they can turn it over to some other legitimate parties to actually govern it is, I think, anybody's guess at this point. Now, it's ambiguous because that won't end it. Hamas has supporters and people who, who are part of their organization in countries other than in Gaza. Um, and those people will continue. And then there's other hate groups. There's Hezbollah, there's others that are the extremists that don't want to have peace and aren't happy that, that, that Arab establishment countries want to have peace. And so I don't think it just ends with one battle. Um, yeah. I think it's much longer and deeper than that. But I think they have no choice, really, but to seek justice and at least end these leaders in this group from the position they're in when they can attack, as they did. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of touched on this earlier about how there's there's a possibility that Hamas or there's a strong possibility that Hamas is using uh, the people of Gaza City as human shields. Do you think it's like possible from a humanitarian perspective for Israel to go into Gaza City, considering that there are millions of unaffiliated people, civilians that are unaffiliated with Hamas? I, I think they feel they have to. Yeah. I think they'll. I think they'll continue to do everything they can to to minimize true civilian loss. But the problem is Hamas doesn't have them as shields just by standing them out there. They're totally intertwined. I mean, they totally have tunnels that go underneath all the residential buildings. They have people that'll be in the windows of buildings when there's families right next to them. And so it's going to be incredibly difficult. 
Um, it's why Israel's trying to get everybody you can to leave. I understand they think about two thirds of the civilian population of Gaza City has now left, um, and they're hoping more will go every day. But they know they've already had civilians that have been caught in the crossfire. They undoubtedly will, too. Um, you know, when civilians get caught in the crossfire and it's a real war, um, you want to see everything done to minimize that. But you know that's part of war. It's unfortunate part of war. When Hamas, Hamas wasn't people just caught in the crossfire. They went after civilians to try to kill them. The Israelis are not doing that. They're going after Hamas. They're going after the Hamas fighters, the extremists and the terrorists. Mm -hmm. um, but there will undoubtedly be a lot of people who are harmed, both wounded. I mean, you know, it's it's horrible for the people who are killed, but it's also horrible for the people who are just wounded or just the families of the people who are killed and wounded. It's going to be already, I'm sure, it's traumatic. It'll be even more traumatic for all the kids that are there. Um, and that's horrible. But but if you if you let terrorists use that to stop you from seeking any kind of justice and stopping them, um, it's you can't do that. Again, if there was a mistake the Israelis have made the last several years is they were they had almost a kind of a detente, they thought, with Hamas, that even though they didn't like him, if Hamas stayed in Gaza and they limited the amount of rockets they tried to shoot and they could shoot them down with Iron Dome and stop them from arming people, the Israelis were letting them be. Hamas, that wasn't enough. Hamas then invaded and killed literally, I think the number is up to over 1,400 dead and yeah. several thousand wounded. Um, and as we say, babies and little kids and everything else. And they can't let them stay there um, just because there's civilians around. Uh, they were they were willing to do that before. They're not going to be willing to do it now. Yeah, um, I say that with, I mean, obviously, I'm not a member of the government. Um, I, I don't really know when they'll stop or what they're thinking. But everything I'm hearing, what I read, what I see and the history I know tells me that they're going to move in. And while it's unfortunate, there's going to be a lot of civilians that are going to be harmed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a shame. Um, our next question, you did kind of touch on this earlier um, with the Abraham Accords, but how do you think this war and the outcome of the war would affect the pending Saudi deal? It's a really good question. Um, it certainly has put it on the back burner right now. I mean, the Saudis have to think about dealing with Hamas and their own extremists amongst it all. And so they're going to be, they're going to play it, they're going to make it real quiet for a while. Um, I think all the reasons that they wanted to seek peace and do something with the Israelis are still there. And so they're going to wait until things are both brought back under control. They're going to, they're going to probably work behind the scenes, not just with the Israelis, but with other Arab countries, Egypt, Jordan, um, and elsewhere. Uh, and the UAE, especially, I think, to try to make sure Hamas uh, doesn't doesn't attack them as well and isn't a real threat to them. Mm -hmm. But I think ultimately they will seek peace, um, just as the other countries have, because they know Israel's not going anywhere. I mean, it's going to be there, um, and they it's in it's their neighborhood, and they can all prosper if they learn to work together and they do things together technologically with their economies. Um, uh, you know, the ADL has a center, it's opened in the Emirates, in the UAE, in a joint venture with the Emirates on respect 
um, and tolerance throughout the Middle East. Um, I, as a board, current board member of ADL, I expect I'm going there in May, or we had planned to go there in May for a board meeting jointly with members of the UAE um, and perhaps a trip, a trip to Saudi Arabia afterwards. Whether we'll still go to Saudi Arabia or not is yet to be seen. But you know, it, the, the 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 discussions with the Saudis have been most pronounced in the last six months. But I can tell you, when I was the national chair of ADL in 2015, we quietly acted as a back channel for Israelis and the Saudis, not only to talk to each other, but to come to New York and meet uh, in situ in conference room and area we set up for them. And so this has been going on quite a long time. I first went with ADL to the Emirates in 2008, then again 2010. And you know the Emirates were still technically at war with Israel, but there were several thousand Israelis who were quietly living there and working there. There was a lot of economic back and forth. They were very forthcoming with us, but we had to keep it confidential at the time of all they did with the Israelis. Well, that's been going on with Saudi Arabia for quite a long time too. So I don't think this will stop it, um, but I think it will put it back in the shadows the way it was because they don't want to have to deal with the extremists um, amongst their own people. Yeah. Um, you kind of just touched on this a little bit, but what action is the ADL taking to aid Israel in this time or Jews in general? Well, so there's, there's big things and small things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, on the bigger side, ADL has been very vocal uh, on behalf of Israel to talk and make sure people understand and the media represents it properly as to what this really is, terrorism. Um, and this is not a matter of simply militants or fighters who are out there, but these were terrorists who did things that were way beyond the bounds of what we think of in terms of war and battles. Um, and so uh, our uh, national CEO, Jonathan Greenblatt, has been very vocal on CNN and MSNBC, Fox and others in speaking to that. And in doing that, we think we're helping Israel so people understand it, um, talking publicly to the kinds of things we've been talking about, that the Israelis care about civilians, they, they want to have peace, and yet they're being forced to do this. And so we're out there talking about it so people understand it. On a different level, Israel also feels some responsibility for the Jewish community worldwide, too. We feel a lot. That's the focus of our mission, is to fight anti-Semitism and secure justice and fair treatment for all. But in fighting anti-Semitism, it's been on the upswing, and this has taken it to a whole other level. There's, there are lots of supporters. Unfortunately, there are many people who think they're supporting Palestinian rights when they support Hamas. And they're two very different things. I support Palestinian rights. Um, and I feel strongly that there needs to be a chance for Palestinians to live in peace with Israelis. Uh, I've always been a supporter of the so-called two-state solution, however you design that. But is the Palestinians deserve to have a life too. That's different than Hamas, which are terrorists. And be that as it may, there are a lot of people who don't seem to draw that distinction. Yeah. And so anti-Semitism is rising. And just with this war now, um, we have warnings all over the country and all over the world of Jewish communities under attack by people who think it's a way to support Hamas. And so we're doing what we can. ADL advises uh, communal institutions, synagogues and JCCs and other organizations on security, on how to have their own security, physically what they need in the building, training they need if they are under attack. 
um, some of the attacks in the United States, like in Texas, uh, the rabbi there who saved the people there and managed to escape okay. credits his training from ADL as, as a big part of that. And so ADL does that. ADL does a lot of training of law enforcement. It's very big in Los Angeles, as a matter of fact, uh, from the LA office. Uh, my wife and I are going to be in LA November 1st for a big uh, gala that's honoring some friends of ours, but it also honors police officers uh, throughout LA who work on things with the Jewish community and had training. ADL is the biggest nonprofit trainer of law enforcement in the US in the country. And so all those things help the Jewish community. Indirectly then probably you can say it helps Israel, mm -hmm. but we're, we're focused not on something, while we're very much pro-Israel, that's not our mission. Our mission is to protect Jews and people generally from hatred and bigotry and discrimination. And that's the real focus of our mission and what we do every day. Yeah. And we had, our next question was literally like, how is this war affecting global anti-Semitism? But you kind of answered that perfectly. It's bumped it up, with that, unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately. And you know, when you say bumped it up, in Berlin, somebody started going to houses they identified of people inside they thought were Jewish and carved stars of David on their windows. So, and which means the people inside are terrified that they're being identified by somebody who wants to do them harm. Um, there was a, there's, a, there's been stabbings in different countries throughout Europe. Um, there was a teacher stabbed and, uh, and killed in the north of France. Um, there's all that going on. And so it's being stimulated. You know, again, it's not just created by the war, but there's anti-Semitism is behind the war. Israel being treated differently than every other country um, is, is at its core anti-Semitism. And so you see it on the upswing and it's worse. And this this brings to the for, to the forward, not simply bad words or stories or whatever it may be, but people actually taking going into violence against Jewish and Jewish communities worldwide as a yeah. result. And so ADL is there both to track it, to expose it, to help people protect themselves. Uh, that's what ADL does. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, that, yeah. yeah. And that's why it's so important to, you know, take a stand right now and support ADL and stuff, which it, it brings us to our last question here. Sure. Can, you know, teenagers like Sam and I, or just, you know, people in the, U.S., for example, who aren't really involved, what can they do to help with this war? Well, one, to learn as much as you can about what's going on. So when you hear people talk about things that you know are falsehoods, you know, when they want to talk about Hamas as freedom fighters or that kind of thing, you can say, you know, wait, I've got some education. I know some things about that. Yeah. Um, Israel and the Jewish community needs all the ambassadors it can get. Uh, and that means people like you being able to speak up. When they hear people saying things that you know just are inappropriate, yeah. if they're if they're people who are really bad people, don't get into a fight with them, but report them, report them to ADL or report them to, to people in your schools or whatever it might be, your parents, and um, and you can do that. Um, again, it, what Israel needs the most right now is just support. Um, when we were still there, when when they knew when when, when President Biden made the speech he made, that was as strong a support as you, one could imagine. Um, they was buzzing all over the country about the, the about America standing up for them and that they could really trust America to be at their back. Mm -hmm. uh, 
We sent naval assets there. We have some planes we've landed there. We're providing them with uh, replacements to their Iron Dome interceptor rockets. Um, and again, people were buzzing. The media was buzzing that yeah. America is there to support them. Now they they want to protect themselves. They're not. They don't want our army there. They're a strong army, and they and you know everybody's in the army. I mean, every everybody graduates school. You go to the army and do something, and then your reserves. So you know this is a country of nine million people. So the United States is thirty five times bigger. When they all this happened, they called up their reserves. Three hundred sixty thousand people were called up and in the field within forty eight hours. I mean that's wow. incredible. When you if you multiply that by thirty five, what that would be like in in the United States, like ten million people. Wow. I mean it's it's amazing. And yet everybody's there. There was no question about it. Nobody was evading it. Nobody was avoiding it. Everybody was saying, "Where do I go?" Yeah. Um, there were a number of people who were already where they they thought they were needed to go before they even got the message to be there. Everybody was because everybody sees it, and it's it's their neighbors, it's their families, it's their lives. They live there. Um, it's not something they just see on TV. It's actually happening to them. And when you're there in, in Tel Aviv and the sirens go off and your explosions of the rockets, most of which, fortunately, is the Iron Dome system exploding them before they hit the ground. Um, but still, I mean, Hamas has fired something like 6,000 rockets and missiles at Israel since the beginning of this. I mean, a certain number of those get through. We saw yeah. some of these have been hit and yeah. people have been killed by them. And yeah. so... Again, they they appreciate America supporting them, and that support comes through our government and what we do, but also just in how we talk about it in our media and what people can say. Yeah, thank you. Um, now we're going to transition into what we call our lightning round. So more casual, lighthearted questions. We have three for you, and just like quickly. Um, so first, we know you're a well-traveled man. What is your favorite city in the world? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, the most remarkable city in the world I've been in is, is Jerusalem. And I don't say that just because of Israel and all that, because I've been in some amazing places. Kathmandu is also a really amazing city. But Jerusalem is just incredible, uh, what it is for three major faiths and just an amazing city. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> to piggyback off that, what is your favorite restaurant in the world? The whole oh, world. The whole world. Anywhere you've been. Favorite restaurant? So we went to a place in Vienna about four years ago. And I don't even remember the name, but it was in a park. And everything we ate was specially made for us and served in such a way it was incredible. And we had about a three-hour dinner. And it was the most remarkable dinner I've ever had in a spot that was just gorgeous in the middle of this park with greenery all around. It was phenomenal. Yep. Wow. And then lastly, you're from Denver. What is your favorite Sports team, any sports? The Denver Broncos. Broncos, yeah, of course. I was not, expecting that one. Broncos. Not going great right now, but good luck to you guys. Thanks next, a lot. Next season, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I think it'll be a couple of seasons. I, I will tell you, I've been a season ticket holder of the Broncos since 1979, but I'm also I share season tickets to the Denver Nuggets for the last 20 years. There you uh, go. You so many. And that was a, that. We just had a great year. So that's yeah. Great. Yeah. There yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I think that concludes. It does. Okay. It? Thank, thank you. you. Very informative. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. I, I love that you're doing this, that you're doing it, that people get to know, think about politics more and think about the world more on current events. I think it's great. So thanks for having me. And uh, can tell Grant I said hi. I, I think I'm going to be able to see him at dinner with him when we come out in November. So that'd be good. 
Shout out of Grant Fishery. He's been Shout on Shout out here. Grant. All right. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Take care. Bye-bye. Jack lost last last season, and I posted I lost in a heartbreaker. Heartbreaker. Sam, no, you I got carried though because you had a bunch of people playing for you. I guess, but I couldn't. Fraudulent Nicky Mouse, one might say. What else might say? You won. What? What are you yapping about? It's okay. Um. Um. Yeah, game show time. What? Oh, you may you may have seen Jack's punishment. Damn game show. Jack's punishment was. You um, probably it's on our Instagram. Post on the youthful take Instagram on our fourth slide of a recent post. You can go look at it. It's a poor photo. Poor photo of Jack. Um it's a poor photo, but you know what? We live and we learn. Let's get started. Zero zero clean sheet, Jack hit me. Sam Greenberg. You're quite a cultured man in yeah. terms of your geography. Okay, we know. So today I'm gonna ask you all about capitals. Okay. What is the capital of Romania? Bucharest. Ding ding ding. All right, I got that. Um, Jack, name three cities in France. Oh my God, Paris. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Paris. Yeah. Okay. All right, he doesn't know. No, yes I do. Come on, bro. Mbappe. No. <laughs> Paris, Mbappe, Angolo Conte. Give me. Yeah. What is Karim Benzema? All right, so Jack doesn't know. I don't know. Can you give me two? Could have said Marseille. Could have said Nice. Oh, I know Nice. I could have said Leon. Yeah, there are some those. Think, think of the, I should have said think Paris. Think of the soccer teams, bro. Paris. Versailles. You could have said Versailles. I would never guess Versailles. Okay. I like that food though. Shout out that. Food that guy. food place with the chicken. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Capital of Liechtenstein. Talk to me. I don't know. This is the one I thought I might stump you on. I have no I idea. Correct. What was it? What is it? Vaduz. 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 Didn't know that. Live, you live and you learn, I guess. Um, so it? 1 1. Jack? Um, no, it's 0 1. Oh, yeah, 0 1. So, Jack. Representative Jim Jordan. He's been in the news a lot recently. <coughs> Texas. What state does he represent? Texas. No, Ohio. Ohio! Oh my god! Jack! Come on. Jack, do better. Jack, we're gonna be, I'm going to be honest with you, do better. I'm not, right. just, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Right, Jack. I'm not mad. I get this. It's over. I think I'm tired. I think that's the problem. Alright, let's get free. This is so free, bro. Right. Capital of Hungary. It's the freest thing I've ever heard. Even I could get this. It's Budapest. It's Budapest. Give me a harder one. Off the top of your head right now. Capital. No. I'll give you the win. So hey, shake my hand. Shake my hand. I want to shake your hand. Alright. Um, you guys remember that meme? Yeah. Alright, shout out Zach Lipchitz. Shout out Zach Lipchitz. It's 1-0. That concludes the episode. Oh my god, we should bring him on for the next one. Zach, Zach, we'll bring you on soon if you're listening. Yeah. Um, you deserve to be on. 1-0 Sam Greenberg. Peace.